you know, do you know what's worse than a problem? A problem that you are unaware of. A problem is one thing, but a problem that you know nothing about is worse, right? Like a leak is bad. A leak you don't know about is worse. <clears throat> bad breath is bad. Bad breath you don't know about is way worse for you and everybody around you, right? Like when you obviously know the problem, um, it doesn't necessarily mean a known problem is less severe or less drastic than a problem you don't know about, but at least you know the problem and you know it's there and there might be a solution. You can do something with it. But when you are totally unaware of the problem, well, the problem as you know it doesn't exist. The problem as I know it doesn't exist, which means the problem just continues. And oftentimes what happens is the problem continues and the problem in some cases gets worse. And when we are unaware of a problem, we usually find out of the problem in one of two ways. Either somebody makes us aware of it or the problem itself makes us aware of it. And if it ever gets that far, that rarely works out for anybody. And I want to give you a warning today. If you are a Jesus follower in the room, I want to give you a conviction warning today. Because as we wrap up the series, Jesus is going to illuminate a problem that we have and maybe is more prevalent in your day-to-day and my day-to-day than we tend to realize. And the implications, if it continues, um, is drastic. So in the final week of our series, Heart to heart, right? We had our fair share of heart to hearts in life with people that you live with, people you know that you do life with, work with. Uh, maybe a marriage has come out of a heart to heart. Maybe you're hoping one will. But a heart to heart, in practical terms, is this: it's an opportunity to communicate intention, right? Hey, this is what I want. This is what I'm hoping for. This is where I'd like this to go. It's an opportunity to clarify any misunderstanding, right? Like, hey, I think we're missing each other here. Something is off. And a heart to heart is also an opportunity to challenge wrong thinking. And um, throughout the course of the series, we're having one big heart to heart, but not my heart to yours, but rather God's heart to ours. And throughout the series, we've been looking at three parables that Jesus shares that all happen sequentially in the gospel of Luke. And whether you're a faith person or not, these are some of maybe his most recognizable parables that he ever told. In fact, if you've never even cracked open a Bible, you've probably heard of the imagery of these parables. And you're like, oh, I didn't know that that's where that came from. And in these three parables, Jesus makes clear. And in these three parables, Jesus paints a beautiful picture of the heart of God. Towards people. And just by way of a quick review to get everybody on the same page, at the very beginning of Luke chapter 15, um, Luke writes and he tells us why Jesus launched into these three parables to begin with. Luke chapter 15, verse 1, the gospel writer tells us this. He says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, right, derogatory. They're, they're, they're muttering, they're whispering, they're, um, they're trying to get at Jesus. This man, not even worthy of a title, this man, that one, he's not a teacher, that, that man, that person, he welcomes, he gives access to, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And here we see a, a scene that we see over and over and over again in the Gospels. The religious leaders hated Jesus, but the irreligious couldn't get enough of Jesus. 
And the religious leaders and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees of the first century, they hated Jesus because of how he decided to extend relationship to those outside the faith. Um, they, they scoffed at how he dared give access relationally to sinners and tax collectors, those that found themselves on the outside of religion. Um, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were repulsed by Jesus because they were repulsed by the tax collectors and sinners that he dared associate with. And as we've said the past couple of weeks, the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they used religion, their obedience to the law of God, which in and of itself is not a bad thing, but they used their religion as a system of exclusion as a system of exclusion, to say, hey, I'm gonna use my religion to draw a line in the sand to decide who does and does not belong in the family of God. And it based on how well you obey the law and whether or not you obey as good as I do. And what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did, they created categories of people and they were always at the top. They were always the best. And everybody else wasn't even less than, everybody else was excluded from. And so it is in response to that attitude, it is response into that religious worldview that Jesus launches into these three parables, where he has a heart-to-heart of sorts to communicate the intention of why he came, to clarify any misunderstanding about the gospel and what it means to be in the family of God, and to challenge wrong thinking about the very heart of God and its implications for our lives. Now, the first week, we looked at the first two parables, right? The parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And here you see a pattern. Something is lost, something is found, and then there's a celebration. And the main characters in these two parables, it's not the sheep or the coin. It's the shepherd and the woman that do the searching. The shepherd goes out, shows concern. Um, The woman has concern for the lost coin. So they go, they show concern, they search, and they find the sheep and they find the coin. And once they find it, Jesus tells this parable, a celebration ensues. And Jesus is making clear, he's making clear that his mission was to seek and to save the lost, to seek and to save those that are relationally disconnected from God. And then last week we started the parable of the prodigal son. Maybe Jesus's most, actually, most likely Jesus's most famous and recognizable parable. And we, we talked about this, but you know this, right? The parable of the prodigal son, the father had two sons and the younger son, of course, the younger son, the younger son asks for his inheritance early, basically telling his father, hey, I wish you were already dead. Let me have what is mine. And he goes, he gets all his money. He does his thing. He goes off in wild living. He wastes it all. He hits rock bottom. He realized that he did it wrong. And now he's like, man, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to go back home and beg for my father's forgiveness, beg that he would just at the very least hire me as one of his servants. So he practices this speech and he has this long trek home and then he gets home and the father sees him. And while he's still a long way off, Jesus told us, He runs to meet his son. His father, before any explanation, before any kind of confession, is full of compassion and love because his son is home. And he made clear that he never intended to make his younger son earn his way back into the family, that his sin or his behavior did not define his status as a son. No, 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 no. It's just that he's back home and they're relationally connected again. 
And there's a celebration that ensues. And the father kills the fattened calf, which only happened on rare occasion for a big celebration. And we have a picture here, Jesus paints for us, of God's unconditional love and forgiveness. But that is only half the parable. See, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious elites of the first century, they had a problem that they were completely unaware of. And they thought that the obedience to the law of God was the only thing that mattered. That motivations didn't matter, the heart behind the obedience didn't matter, and what it did to other people didn't matter. And the irony, the irony is that in an effort to obey the law of God, which in and of itself wasn't a bad thing, but in an effort to obey the law of God, they missed the very heart of God. In an effort to obey, in an effort to be perfect, their hearts became hardened towards the very people that God sent Jesus for, God the Father. See, that the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, they lived on a moralistic high ground in the name of religion. Religiously and morally, they saw themselves as superior to everybody else that was below them. It was an us versus them, which is why they scoffed at when Jesus chose to say, I'm going to make it them. See, now, I think it's helpful to give the Pharisees just a, a little bit, a little bit of credit, because the problem that they were experiencing wasn't an easy one to diagnose. And the problem they had, like the problem that many of us have, is this, is that there is a dark underbelly There is a dark side to obedience to God in the name of religion backed by wrong motivation. There is a dark side to obedience to God in the name of religion backed by wrong motivation that causes us to not only obey with wrong motivations and to follow with wrong motivations, but to completely miss his heart and fail to properly and accurately reflect it to the world around us. Now, the first two parables, the sheep and the coin, they end in the celebration. Jesus says there's a celebration when the sinner repents and then the parable ends. And so the parable of the prodigal son, there's a celebration and the listeners might have expected this parable to end there. So some of them, I don't know, they started packing up their lawn chairs, you know, picking up their wrappers and they think it might be ending, but Jesus doesn't end it there. In fact, Jesus leans And he goes on, he says, meanwhile, while the celebration was happening, again, you know, like this is, this is how, you know, sometimes there's like scenes at the end of the credits of a movie. That's what, that's what this is. He wasn't done yet. And and Jesus, right? Like he would have certainly told some parables multiple times to different people. And so who knows, there might've been somebody in the audience that already heard this one. And they were like sitting there eating his popcorn. He's not done yet. Meanwhile, while the celebration of the younger son's return is happening, remember this is a parable of two sons, the older son was in the field, doing his job, working, the one who stayed at home. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he's rolling up and he's like, oh, this word music, it's it's where we get the word for symphony, right? So it's no small ordeal. There's a commotion happening at the house. And he's like, what? I didn't hear about the party. Like what's going on? He had no idea his younger brother came home. So he asked a servant, you know, he said, Hey, listen, uh, what's going on at at the house? 
And the servant just responds very directly. Well, your, your brother, your brother has come. Your brother's come home. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. You can tell the hired servant is repeating the language of the father. He's back safe and sound. The father is relieved. He's got his, fun, his son safe and sound. And he tells him, hey, he's gone all out for this celebration. He's killed the fattened calf and they are so happy he is home. And the servant's directness is, he didn't really think much of it. In fact, he might've thought that the older brother already knew. And then we learn, Jesus goes on, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Angry, literally meaning flew into rage. Zero to a hundred. I can't help but imagine the hired servant. He was like, oh, you didn't know. I wasn't here. You know, like awkwardly backs out of the scene. Because what the brother heard was, oh, hey, yeah, your younger brother, the one that wasted, asked for the inheritance, disrespected the family, went and blew it all, disgraced the reputations family, had the audacity to come back home. And then your father not only forgave him, threw a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, put a robe on his back, and he killed the fattened calf. How in the world does my younger brother deserve that? And he goes back to the house. A lot is condensed here. He makes his trek back to the house, but he does not go inside because he does not approve of the celebration. He does not approve of the response because in his eyes, it is not deserving. And Jesus, the master storyteller, is creating this stark contrast. Remember his audience, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You've got the mercy and the grace that the father extended to the younger brother and then in stark contrast to the older brother who is angry and resentful. And we don't know this for sure, but I bet that for the first time, the Pharisees actually had someone in the story that they had compassion for. And it was the older brother. Finally, someone I can relate to. I'd be angry too. That's my dog. Like, that's my man. Don't go into the party. I wouldn't. Why should he? Why would he? And in this moment, Jesus is holding up a mirror. And he's saying, hey, Pharisees, if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm trying to get through to you. Because the older brother's heart could not have been further from the father's heart, which means the older brother's heart could not have been farther from the heart of God. So the older brother won't go in and Jesus goes on. And so his father went out and he pleaded with them. Again, the heart of the father continues to shine through here in the story. The father leaves the party. Get this image. He leaves the party, heads out into the chill of the night. I imagine the son leaning on a fence, looking out on the fields that he's worked all day with his back to the party, fuming in anger and resentment. And the father, the father, he's not angry with him. He's not trying to yell at him to get back in the house who, as an obedient son, he probably just would have done whatever. He said, no, no, he pleads with him. He tries to reason with him. He tries to change his thinking. He has a heart to heart, if you will. And he wants to invite the older brother back in to celebrate the younger son. He's trying to plead with him to see where he's coming from and to get a glimpse of his heart. But the son 
uninterested. He answers his father. He said, look, this is so disrespectful. Look, you, look, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Look, dad, you got nothing. I'm the one that stayed home for you. I never disobeyed your orders. He felt that his obedience meant his father owed him. And rather than lavishly gracing it all on the younger brother, he's thinking, how come you've never even given me a goat to celebrate my obedience? How come you've never given me anything to say, oh, hey, yeah, you are, I approve of you. You are doing a good job. You can see the resentment and the jealousy and the bitterness rise to the top. And we start to see that the son's obedience was from a wrong motivation. In fact, he likened his obedience, had nothing to do with the relation to his father. He likened it to obeying orders and slaving away, expecting something in return. And don't miss this. Though he never left, Though he stayed home, though he did everything the father asked, he too was lost. He never ran away from home, but watch this. He was never really at home in the father's love. His obedience was a burden. The motivations behind it, toxic looking to gain something in return. And notice, the father seeks him out. Just like the shepherd sought out the sheep, and just like the woman sought out the lost coin, and just like the father who, when he saw his younger son a long way off, he didn't wait at the front porch. He ran to the end of that long dirt driveway to meet him before he could even get onto the property. In the same way, The father seeks out his older son because he's lost and he wants him to be found. Son goes on, but when this son of yours, not even my brother, there's no connection here anymore. He's that dead to me. He's not my brother. When this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. I've done everything right and you've given me nothing. I did everything right and you've never paid me for it. He did everything wrong and he got in the fattened calf. This is not fair. This is not just. What are you thinking? Who do you think you are? Father, with such grace, responds, my son, endearing, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost unto me, but now he is found. Hey, son, All I've given your younger brother, it's always been yours. 
The same love and the same grace has always been yours. My inheritance has always been yours. And that stuff that I gave your younger brother, the robe and the ring and the sandals and the fattened calf, it's not because I love him more. No, 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 no. It's because I wanted him to know that there's nothing he could ever do to change his status as my son. And because he is found, I'm so grateful you never left, but because he's found, we had to celebrate. And I want you to know, son, my son, just like there's nothing he could do, just like there's nothing he could do to remove his status from my family, I want you to know I'm right here. And though he never saw it, The same love and grace that the father showed the younger son, he is extending to the older son in this moment because he too was lost to the heart of the father. Historically, this is called the parable of the prodigal son. It's actually a bad name. That's not like those titles aren't the the, the gospel writers didn't, didn't put that at the top. That's all added on later, right? It's actually a bad name for the parable. A better name for the parable is the parable of two lost sons because both are lost. It's just one form of lostness. Watch this. One form of lostness is more obvious than the other. Isn't it? Like for the younger son, it's easy. It was wrongdoing. It was easy. It was wrongdoing. He he did it wrong, right? Like even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're like, yeah, I can... I could see how that could be a problem, what he decided to do, you know? Maybe not the best decision. I mean, it was wrongdoing, right? I mean, he embarrassed his family, squandered all that he had on pleasures and this, that, and the other, lived wild and free, lost it all. I mean, yeah, and realized it turned back like it was the wrongdoing. That was his problem. He thought life apart from his father was going to be better, and he hit rock bottom and realized that it wasn't. It's obvious, but the older brother, the older brother's problem wasn't wrongdoing. I mean, we've already said, right? he did everything right. I mean, he was obedient. He was dutiful. He, he was respectful. He was hardworking. People respected him, right? I mean, people praised him, admired him. He was the model son outwardly. He was faultless. But in this heart-to-heart with his dad, we see the problem revealed. And ironically, his problem was right doing. His right doing with the wrong motivation hardened his heart. His right doing with the wrong motivation made him believe he was entitled to something. His right doing with the wrong motivation disconnected him from the heart of the father and made him think that he was better than his brother. And this is where we start to see the dark side of the pursuit of obedience and perfection in the name of religion. Because the longer you do it, the longer you try to earn something with God, the longer you think you can prove something to God with the way that you live, what starts to happen is resentment starts to build up. And just as we see in the explosion of the older son, unkindness pride, selfishness, entitlement, and self-righteousness. And his attitude, this religious moralism is exactly what Jesus came to shatter. This religious moralism that is toxic to the heart and disconnects us from the heart of God and hardens our heart to people that Jesus came 
for. And if we're just being honest, we might have a little bit more older brother in us than we think. And let me just let me show you what that might look like. I'm including myself in this, just to be clear. But it's the resentment that we feel whenever something good happens to someone that's never done anything right. Hey, God, you seen the way that I live? Older brother. It's the pride of superiority that we feel whenever we hear a story about someone that just can't get it right. And even though outwardly you're gracious, but there's this insidious thing inside of us that almost feels better about ourselves in comparison. Older brother. It's the, it's the judgment that we cast on somebody after hearing their story, thinking, I would have never. I can't believe they. Older brother. It's the selfishness that we feel when we start to think that somehow God's grace is limited and it should be limited just for those who deserve it, and we happen to always think that we are the ones that deserve it. Older brother. It's the entitlement that we feel when we think that we, because of how good we are, are deserving of what other people have. Older brother. And in a similar way, it's the bitterness we start to feel towards God when he seemingly ignores all of our good behavior and he's forgotten to reward us. Older brother. And it's the self-righteousness, the toxic self-righteousness that makes us believe we're better than somebody else and we've somehow earned our way to God. Toxic religiosity that misses the very heart of God, and it's why I've told you for the past two weeks that Jesus was the most anti-religious, religious figure the first century and maybe the world had ever seen. Because he wanted to shatter the categories that said in the name of religion, it's us versus them. He wanted to shatter the thinking that said in the name of religion, my obedience means I'm morally superior to In the name of religion, you're less than, so good luck, you're on your own. In the name of religion, you haven't earned forgiveness, God's or mine. In the name of religion, I've earned my status because of how good I've done. Or in the name of religion, hey God, I'm so good, you owe me. Toxic. And Jesus is trying to get the Pharisees and you and me to see the older brother in us. I've got three, three beautiful girls, girl dad through and through. And um, I have three girls, which means I have a middle child. And uh, Harper, our oldest, she, I mean, she's like the oldest. She's the firstborn to a T. I'm the firstborn, so I can relate to her. I mean, she's just like, she, she gets everything perfect. She wants it to be perfect. And if she doesn't get it perfect, she's upset about it. I don't even have to really get onto her at times because she just gets onto herself, you know? And I mean, she, she's like hard on herself. I'm like, Hey, you can breathe. It's okay. I mean, she, you know, she just, she wants to do everything right. And whenever she does something right, she wants to know that she did it right. And, and then Samantha, she's my second, my middle ball of energy. I love her so much, but she is crazy. (laughs) 
And I'm convinced, maybe it's a second child thing. I don't know, Jesus might've told the story wrong. I think maybe there was a third son and the prodigal was the middle. Like that just, I think that checks out. You know what I mean? I, I think, I think that, that, could, that could make sense. So Samantha, love, love her so much. And one night, um, a couple weekends ago, uh, I'm watching the girls because Julie's hanging out with some friends. And so I'm at home with the girls. We're having a girls' night. And um, serious, <laughs> manicures and everything. And so... Uh, we're, we're, it's bedtime. So Zara's already asleep. She's our youngest. She's perfect. Cause she's one. And <clears throat> I put Harper down, Harper and Samantha share a room. So I put Harper down and I'm trying to get Samantha down and she's just going crazy. She's got a big girl bed now, which means she can get out. And so she's like, she doesn't want to sleep. She's running around. She's laughing. She's taking her diaper off. I mean, I can't, I, I can't. But because I'm a pastor, I always handle these moments perfectly with such grace. <laughs> so I, I have this moment, I, I lose my patience, and, and, I, and I get a tone, and I get a little too stern with Samantha. So she gets the picture, she gets in bed, and I, I feel terrible. So I'm going to apologize to her. And <laughs> you can't make this up. From the other side of the room, I can't see her because the lights are off, sound machine's going. Harper is laying down in her bed and I just hear from the corner of the room, hey dad, I'm being a good listener though, right? <laughs> what I wanted to say was, yeah, can you teach Samantha some of that tomorrow? <clears throat> but in a, in a rare emphasis on the word rare, moment of parenting clarity. It hit me in those few seconds. Harper's asking me for two reasons. Because she's comparing herself to her younger sister and she wants my approval. And so in this moment of clarity, I respond to Harper. Hey, Harper, yes, Samantha's having a hard time right now, but I still love you both so much no matter what. Because my love for them is not about good or bad. It's about the fact that they're my daughters. And my love for them is not about them earning it. It's about my character as a dad. And this parable is not a parable about good and bad. It's not about a good son and a bad son. This parable is about the reckless, endless, constant love of God. Because the character of God is good. In fact, maybe the best possible title for this parable is the parable of the gracious father. Because both sons are lost and the response to both of his sons is grace. This parable is not about what's fair or what's just or who is and isn't deserving. It is about God's unending grace for humanity when none of us deserved anything. And in this moment, the father is inviting the older son back in. He wants him in. Jesus wasn't anti the Pharisees because he hated them. He's trying to get them in. He wants them to dine at the table with him and everybody else. But they, just like the older brother and just like some of us, lacked awareness. Because here's what's true. 
The gospel, the good news that Jesus came to die for our sins, it's not fair. And we ought to be good, glad that it's fair, not fair. Because if it was fair, we'd all be in trouble. Because here's what's true, is that everyone is wrong. Everyone is loved. And no one earned it. Everyone is wrong. And for God so loved the world that he sent his son on a mission to seek and save those disconnected from him so that whoever would put their faith in him could live in a relationship with their heavenly father forever. And you don't have to earn that. It's available to everyone. We're loved. And none of us earned it. If you could earn God's love, everyone has to. But if you can't, then no one can. And if you didn't, then no one need try. The older brother and the Pharisees, they they had a sin problem. They thought in their self-righteousness that they were good, that their obedience was good enough, that they could earn the approval, and as a result, they should get something in return. They had a sin problem, and as a result, as a result of their hardened hearts and their lack of awareness, they were never fully at home in the Father's love for them. Because the obedience was out of wrong motivation. And they never understood the gospel for others, so they were never going to be able to embrace it for themselves. And we will never be able to put to death the older brother syndrome that we have unless we fully embrace the gospel of Jesus. And when we do, when we embrace that no one's earned it, that everybody is wrong and God so loved because he wanted to, then we can begin to cultivate the kind of freedom where we can extend the same grace, extend the same compassion, extend the same patience and love and celebrate with joy those that find their way back home and walk alongside those people that aren't home yet. And here's what it comes down to. Whether or not we trust in God's all-forgiving love. Because it's either all-forgiving or it's not. If it's just forgiving for you and for me, here's the deal. It's not big enough and we're all in trouble. Do we believe in God's all-forgiving love or not? If we do, if we believe it for ourselves and believe it for others, then we can begin to put to death the resentment and the self-righteousness and the bitterness that says you owe me and the pride that says I'm better than you and the entitlement that says I deserve what you have. And we can begin to kill the dark underside of religious toxicity and repent. Literally turn from our wrong way and turn into the heart of the Father. Turn back to his love that we so desperately need. And then walk in the way of Jesus, not because it's a rule of religion, but because there is a relationship that gave everything to save us, and that's the only response. And as a result, show the world the very heart of God. I'll go first. I have more older brother in me than I'd like to admit. And I'm a professional Christian. (laughs) 
And the church today, by and large, has too many older brothers in it as well. And the church has a reputation problem, not because there's anything wrong with Jesus, but because too many of his followers have too many older brother tendencies. And we should live in a way that makes others curious about Jesus. We should live in a way that compels other people to want to know and get closer to Jesus. We should live in a way that might inspire people to surrender their lives to following Jesus. That people should look at the way that we live and love and serve and forgive and celebrate the way that we show compassion, the patience that we have, the humility that we walk with and the joy that we celebrate with and be compelled to want to know the Jesus that we follow. The invitation to join in on the mission that Jesus came for and to join in on the joy of the celebration is there. The choice The choice is ours. And here's what's true. The parable ends with that father's final plea. We don't know if the older son ever went inside. Jesus ends it so that he might have the Pharisees wonder, what's my response gonna be? But we know from the rest of the story in the Gospels that the Pharisees, by and large, missed it. And I don't want us to miss it. I don't want you and I don't want me to miss it. Because the older brother syndrome, it will rob us of being able to shine the heart of God to the world that needs him so desperately. So let us be a church. And let us be a community that roots out, starting with us, The ones we have control over roots out the deep older brother tendencies that we all walk around with that maybe we've never been aware of so we can love, celebrate, forgive, and inspire others in Jesus' name. Who is the younger brother in your life? Start there. Someone in your family, a friend, someone you've grown distant from because they were the younger brother. Start there, start here. And if each of us start here with us, that's when the community starts to change because here's what's true. God's reckless love is always ready to give and to forgive independent of our response. But here's God's heart as we wrap this up. Here is God's heart as we wrap up the series. God's heart God's desire is that younger and older and every brother in between alike would find their way to be at home in his love. And just like Jesus made clear, I have come to seek and to save the lost. All of us once were. So Jesus would say, So if I've come to do that, I want you to do it too. And you'll never be able to do it with the heart of the older brother. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. And thank you that we can't earn it. Thank you that we don't have to fight for the approval 
Thank you that you're not looking down at us, asking us to perform in some certain way. Thank you that your heart is relationship before it is any kind of religion. May you impress on our hearts the awareness to root out any older brother within us. And may we shine and represent your heart and your kindness that you gave to us, to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.